0: It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat.
1: Welcome back to your Cheap Trick Podcast, Cheap Talk. I'm one of your hosts, Ken Mills, and joining me as always, the ever-effervescent BJ Cramp. Hello, sir. Welcome back to the show.
2: Hello there, ladies and Ken. It's
1: It's been a long time coming, but it sounds so sweet. Here we are. We are back. We just got back. We've been gone a long, long time. It wasn't my idea. I didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> I'll never eat another double
2: cheeseburger before bed again. What's the line? Yeah, something like... Yeah. I don't know if it's double cheeseburger. It might just be cheeseburger. <laughs>
1: cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Cheeseburger, cheap, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. Speaking of Saturday Night Live, today we're in for a big treat. Today, we are welcoming to the mighty, mighty Cheap Talk Studios here high atop of the world, where we can't get any higher, the mighty Bruce Dickinson. Bruce Dickinson is a record producer, and he worked on the Cheap Trick box set "Sex America Cheap Trick," which is a fantastic box set. BJ, what do you think
2: about it? Yeah, I love it. Very Although, good. you know, of course, common complaints are what wasn't included, but they couldn't put everything on there.
1: Yeah, but that's fans, right? That's that's yeah. fans and everything. You've got to when you're working on a box set, you have to figure out who is this aimed at and you always have to aim a certain amount at the tire kickers which is weird because who's going to go buy a four disc box set i mean it's it's very rare i would imagine i could be wrong because i've done such stupid things too where i'm like gee i really i'm not into band whatever i almost said band x but there's actually a band called x so uh you know you you, you go i'm i'm i want to check out the cure or whatever and you wind up buying the box set because it's on sale or you just think, I really think I'd like The Cure, right?
2: Well, you know, I hate having these kind of realizations, but we're talking 20 years ago when this came out. and uh, How is that possible? I know. And back then, if I remember right, there was kind of a box set fad going on. Lots of box sets were coming mm-hmm. out by lots of bands and right. uh, when this came out. And plus, I know I got it for Christmas. I think it was released. You know, they would put these things out you know, within a month or so of Christmas uh-huh. as kind of a hint, hint right. Christmas gift type thing too. So just in time for Christmas.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, did you get the, the long one with the, like, like, like the book version, you know, the, yeah. The even though version? my
2: book has since separated from the, uh, it,
1: yeah. you know,
2: it's not, it's no longer connected by the staples to the packaging, but right. But it's connected with love. Yeah. Uh,
1: And then there's, so this set comes in two different versions. There's the long version that we're going, the long book version, let's call it that. It shall henceforth be known as the long
2: book version. And of course, four CD set was perfect because they got, uh, each guy gets one disc with his picture on it. Yeah, that would have sucked
1: if, you know, if, if you only had three discs and then you're down to... Well, one of you guys isn't going to be featured, so then it would have had big group shots on every disc. They would have probably put Rick and Bunny on one. (laughs) Or just a bunch of black and white checkered stuff. Yeah, yeah. Today, we have Bruce Dickinson, who is not just a record producer, but he's also famous for this skit.
3: This is Bruce Dickinson, uh, producer, fan, and musicologist, and you are listening to Cheap Talk.
1: cowbell, baby. (laughs) Guess what? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Folks are in for a real treat today this is a really good interview and if you're into cheap trick minutia trivia what else would you call it bj just history yeah, yeah. yeah. cheap 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 trick history yeah is that a thing cheap cheap trick history Chistery. Chistery. <laughs> cheap trick, <tri-s-> trickstery <laughs> yeah there you go trickstery <laughs> if you're into trickstery this is this is one for the for, for all of you folks that want to know the behind the stories and how things are put together, this is a good one. This is a good one. So here we go, Bruce Dickinson. And here he is, the one, the only, the famous man himself, more cowbell. Bruce Dickinson. Bruce, welcome to Cheap Talk. Good morning,
3: or good afternoon, I should say. You know, this is, um, you know, for me, this is morning, but it is afternoon, so whatever.
1: That's all right. People are <laughs> listening to this on the night shift, too, so off Wiedersehen, wherever you are. So, uh, and, and hello, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. There you go. That's perfect. You have become infamous for something outside of your work, in a way. You... Are the guy that the wonderful Christopher Walken portrays in the skit more cowbell?
3: Correct. This is correct. However, indirectly or inadvertently, uh-huh. yes, I, I am that guy. I guess if someone was going to um, portray me, I've always thought uh, would be honored to have either Christopher Walken or Dennis Hopper uh, play me. So, so. you got to admit that's. That's
1: like excellent. I mean, if if someone was going to have Christopher Walken play me, for example, I I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled.
3: It was funny because, um, you know, when that first ran, that night I was sitting at my computer and I got an instant message uh, from one of my friends like, you know, OMG, put on Saturday Night Live. Now, I hadn't watched Saturday Night Live in, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 years um uh, so i caught I, I caught most of it and then uh, of course that monday morning i walked into sony studio and uh you know everyone was uh chattering about it and um, one, one of the engineers actually uh had already made a call to NBC to get a um, copy of the uh, sketch on uh delivered on a 1630 um <laughs> It's something that has always amused me, especially since I wasn't involved with the band when that actually happened, you know, when the original incident of, uh, you know, recording uh, Don't Fear the Reaper and and, uh, Agents of Fortune was going on. uh, That was before my time.
1: Right. And, And basically they got your name off of a box set that you had worked on, correct?
3: At uh, NBC, um, in that building on the corner of Sixth uh, Avenue was mm-hmm. an FYI or was it, FYE record yeah. store. Yeah. And uh, I've always felt someone probably just said, "Oh, go get a Blue Oyster Cult CD," and they saw uh, my name as you know one of the uh, producers who had uh, worked on uh, all their the uh, issue stuff. Um, and uh, remixes and live mixes and stuff like that. So I, I forget which one specifically it was, but uh, that's how my name came into the whole thing. And uh, it's really funny because the band uh, you know, Blue Oyster finds it very funny to this day. And, uh, you, know, that, you know, it's actually helped them. Um, so we always have a good laugh about it. In fact, uh, about uh, two years ago, I, I went to see them at a show here in New York, and um, Eric stepped up to the mic at one point and he goes, I just wanted to let you all know that the Bruce Dickinson is in the house tonight. You know, the Bruce Dickinson is here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a trip. That's fantastic. And I guess we should also apologize for anyone listening who thinks that we are interviewing the lead singer of Iron Maiden, about cheap trick today.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, definitely. And that happens all the time. In fact, I, I've met him of course. And, um, you know, we've had a good laugh over it because, um,
1: you're the other people.
3: Guy. Yeah. People will come up to the tattooed millionaire and, uh, you know, they'll be holding a, a CD and say, well, you know, how would you get involved with these guys? And he goes, <laughs> no, that's a different Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know how how we met is there was some sort of epic records function oh boy back in the 90s and uh harvey Leeds, who was uh the uh, head of epic aor promotion and had been an artist development guy uh, at epic uh, he was there for over 30 years uh, really you know one of the uh, deans of his uh, profession and i walked in the room And I saw out of the corner of my eye the other Bruce Dickinson. And I saw Harvey. And Harvey, uh, he's a very animated Mm -hmm. character. And you could just see he saw me, he saw Bruce, and his his whole face just lit up. And he started approaching. And he just sort of pulled us together. And he goes, Bruce Dickinson, meet Bruce Dickinson. And uh, the tattoo millionaire goes, You! You're the guy! (laughs) And uh, So we were creating stories about, you know, we've actually a couple of times stayed in the same hotel at the same time in L.A. and gotten each other's faxes and mail slipped under the door. And um, I've unfortunately gotten uh, groupie letters uh, slipped under the door, but they weren't really for me, so I had to... (laughs) heepishly takes him to the desk and say, "Wrong guy." You know, <laughs> that's, okay. that's okay. Wow! I, I can live. With that.
1: Just amazing, just amazing. No, um, so to
3: this to this day, I get I should just add to this day, I get um, people on LinkedIn who mm-hmm. think I'm him, and they're always aeronautics people. They're like aeronautics engineer yeah. and airplane industry people because he's you know, in that field as well. Right. Um, and they, they just, they think they still do it, you know? So amazing. It's, yeah.
1: Well, let's take a look at, at some of your resumes. This just, uh, wow. It just, just to look at this is so impressive. Bob Dylan, E. pop, the tragically hip miles Davis, the clash, big audio dynamite, Jeff Beck, Paul McCartney, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Meatloaf, Billy Joel, Midnight Oil, Cheap Trick, some band named Cheap Trick. I wonder why we're talking about them today. Uh, Men at Work, and, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, and of course, Blue Oyster Cult. You know, more more cowbell. But the, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, everybody from Run DMC to Ozzy to Judas Priest. Your work just really goes the 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 gamut of popular recorded music. I mean, that's, that's quite a chunk of, uh, culture there. Wouldn't you say BJ?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: So it, it just, it's, it's mind blowing the amount of work. I mean, when, when you, when you go to your, uh, credits page, it's it's over a lot of years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're no, uh, uh, you know, young kid coming into the scene. You've, you've, you've definitely been busy over the last 35 years. um, but today, we're here to talk about your work with Cheap Trick. And for the fans who may not know, you're the guy who is responsible for all the work done on the reissue sets, the box set, the Boudacon box set that came out not too long ago, uh, actually years ago at this point. But that's, you know, we like BJ and I were just talking about that it's been 20 years since the Sex America Cheap Trick box set came out.
3: Wow, you know, I haven't thought of it, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It's
2: crazy. <laughs>
1: it's so a
3: long, long time.
1: So how did you become involved with working with Cheap Trick?
3: It goes it goes back to when I worked as the rock and pop buyer at the Harvard Coop. You know, I had gotten involved with Budokan. In fact, my success was promoting Budokan in Boston's You know, one of the key reasons why CBS Records hired me for the for the Boston branch. But uh, anyway, there was a a guy who had been at the Harvard Cook before me named Jeff Jones. And um, he's now the CEO of Apple, the Beatles company. Oh, and um, he was at the CBS branch. So we knew each other Um, and he. You know, he learned that I was a huge Cheap Trick fan. And, you know, fast forward the years from between, say, 1977 and uh, 1995, Jeff had become head of uh, Sony Legacy, their reissue area. It really goes back to Men at Work. They were having uh, trouble getting the package together for uh, Men at Work they were in a meeting. I was not even working, uh, doing any work with Sony legacy at the time. And, um, and it was one of these situations where no one knew anything really about the history of men at work and and didn't know, I mean, they knew they'd had big records, but they didn't know anything about where the tapes were and, you know, where the skeletons were, what closets and all that sort of stuff. So they were kind of in an impasse and apparently in a meeting one day, Jeff said, you know what, I'm going to call the guy that was there at the beginning with this band and uh, I'm going to uh, get him involved. So I did men at work and he had said, you know, uh, oh, and while you're at it, why don't you uh, do something with the, your old girlfriend, Nina Hagen stuff? Um, so I did those two packages and uh, as soon as I turned them in, he goes, Would you be interested in doing a cheap trick box set? Of course, he knew I would. Um, And I said, yeah, when do you want it? um, So, you know, I started on it right away. Uh, Basically started gathering up uh, tapes. And there was a tape library at the the old um, Sony Studios at uh, 10th Avenue and West 54th uh, on the fourth floor. And I basically took up a whole uh you know aisle in that library and filled it with uh, multi tracks and half inch tapes quarter inch tapes stats, uh, and anything I could find from the various sessions of all the albums and uh, at that point, uh, I called Bunny and uh we arranged to have Bunny come in and I uh, brought. Bunny to the um, tape library at the studio. I walk him in the room and showed him the whole row of tapes from floor to ceiling. I said, Bunny Carlos, this is your life. I explained to him, I had already explained to him that we wanted to do a box set. And I also expl- had explained to him, you know, I found a lot of um, unreleased material, live stuff. He had also sent me a, a list of things to look for uh, uh-huh. and I, I had found those. He brought some things he had on cassettes that he knew we didn't have. Um, that's things like the fan club demo and uh, the the version of Waiting for the Man Heroin uh, that was live. That's very early uh, with Tom uh-huh. on vocal. Uh, in fact, it's so early I don't think Robin was in the band at the time. So, you know, I thought it was important that we have a lot of live and unreleased material because cheap Trick fans are rightly so very fanatical and already have all the studio stuff that's come out on the CDs and the albums over the years. So I wanted to give them something, you know, that would excite them, something new. And what amused me while all this was going on was on the chat lines they were going, Oh, they're going to screw it up, you know, they don't know this, they don't know that, you know, they're not going to have the band involved and all this, you know, and Mm -hmm. Bunny and I would just sort of like look at these uh, chat line conversations, you know, like, we go, yeah, we got that, yeah, we got that what are these people worried about you know, and it's, it's like and then another you know, thing to pop up is it'd be somewhat cool if they'd actually get the band involved but they don't do stuff like that this thing's gonna suck you know it's like <laughs> on and on it was the negativity was staggering and then of course when it finally came out um you know, I remember one one guy's going, this is amazing, I can't believe this, this is so good. Run, don't walk to your store and get this this pox set, you know. A, so anyway, we were all very glad that they, they were very happy. The only complaint uh, from the Cheap Trick community uh, was that he's a whore, he's not on it. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and, I have that in my uh,
2: questions.
3: <laughs> and, and, and and we just, you know, Bunny and I knew that was going to come, but, you know, it was like, well, we can't really fit it in in a, in a logical sequence. And it's like, would they rather have he's a whore or would they rather have all this live stuff from the whiskey or something, you know? And we we decided, you know, well, we're going with, you know, things like Down on the Bay and, and Mrs. Henry from from the Whiskey and Ballad of T V violence, you know, uh, there's plenty of early songs, live versions of early songs, you know, alternate version of uh, I want you to want me, single versions for the early stuff. So, you know, he's a whore went, went, went by by the wayside and you know, we still stand by our decision, uh, and as it is now of course you can make your own cd on your computer if you want to add ease of horror, that that's fine but we were limited as to space size there's always publishing issues but i think the end, end result uh, made everyone happy and the box set was quite successful so you know it, it, it worked out fine
1: well when you approach a box set like this are who are you looking at because on one aspect, is the casual fan going to come along and snap up a four-disc set? And then, like you said, on the other hand, the the real diehards have a good chunk of this already. So, what's your like thought process when you're going through this?
3: Well, it, it really does depend on the individual artist. It depends on things like their sales history. You know, some artists sold very well, but they don't have a rabid uh, fan base with chat lines going constantly and right. you know, uh, Cheap Trick uh, happens to have the extreme of that so that was all the more reason not to just do a four CD box set of stuff that they you know that's already out there uh-huh. uh, and plus some bands have a wealth of unreleased material that's very viable and some have virtually nothing you know because that's that's just the way it is mm-hmm. cheap trick had the uh, you know a treasure trove uh, of of stuff and good quality stuff now you know with the whiskey that stuff had to be there and of course people go well how come you didn't do the whole whiskey show and to this day they're uh probably well i know they're still saying you know I can't believe they hadn't put out the whole whiskey show, you know, and there were more there was more than one show. Well, not all of it's recorded very well. There were a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of technical problems and we, we wanted to pick out the best recorded uh, version, the versions that actually had Robin's vocals actually recorded and not dropped out. Uh, the versions that didn't have you know, that high-pitched wail of amp noise overcoming Rick's guitar leads. Uh-huh. Um, so there's, there's perfectly good reasons why uh, we haven't, we, why we didn't use more whiskey material, and why more whiskey material hasn't uh, come out. And that's true of a lot of the, the, the live shows. You know. That said, uh, there are a couple of live shows that were recorded uh, that, are, that are great that just haven't come out for uh, mostly, probably, budgetary reasons. You know, they, they've never been um, mixed, so they're just the raw tape. But uh, I have heard the raw tape, and it's great stuff.
1: Out of all the stuff that you went through, was there something that didn't make the final cut? that you wish had, like if there was, is there one thing that you said, like, I, I wish we could have gotten this out or maybe put out a disc of this, or was there anything that was left on the cutting room floor that broke your heart?
3: Well, you know, I mean, obviously I, I would have loved to have done, um, you know, more this, you know? Mm-hmm. um, any fan would want that you know, myself included. And, you know, I would love to have an 8 CD box set, but it's not feasible economically. Um, And if this box set had failed, we wouldn't have gotten to do the the reissues with the bonus material. Um, So we were pretty much, because of the sales point that Sony wanted, the price that this would be available for, we were pushing it greatly at four CDs. Uh-huh. Uh, so you've got, you know, publishing payments to consider, and um, you've got studio costs involved in the preparation, uh, uh-huh. which means, could mean actually mixing songs, that, um, you know, live songs in this case that have never been um, mixed before. You know, when I mentioned that the, there are a couple of uh, great you know, live of shows. There's, uh, there's one in Providence, Rhode Island from around 78, and there's an L.A. Forum show from that uh, would be around 79, 80. Yeah, I'd love to have those, but those would cost a tremendous amount of money to mix. Uh-huh. Um, and then you've also got, even if they were already mixed, and you're talking about two more CDs or four more CDs, depending whether you do one more show or two shows, uh, you're talking about all the mastering and editing costs. It uh, it, it is a lot of money. Um, so you're 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 left with the um, you know the dilemma of how do we create something really cool with a really nice package and spend some money on the packaging, which a lot of people don't, and something any you know give them enough songs, enough interesting stuff. Um, you know, and, and while doing that, not only give them unreleased stuff, but point out, you know, maybe give another spotlight or revisit some songs that you feel should have gotten more attention when they came out uh-huh. and, and, and not um, uh, one of those for me was always this time around. I've always thought tonight it's you is brilliant. Now it was like I believe like a number one song in Australia, but mm-hmm. here it didn't hear much of anything. So that's kind of the reason why it leads off the last disc of the box set. Mm, very good. Now and, you know cover girl is another good one. Yeah, you know, that's that's a really good song that you know I always felt got overlooked.
0: Yeah.
1: Now you talked about how somebody at the at the record company said, "Would you be interested in a a cheap trick box set?" What is your cheap trick story? How did you find them? How did you become interested in the band? And what made you want to work with them?
3: It's funny when I was when I was the buyer at the rock and pop buyer at the Harvard Coop. We're talking about the latter half of the '70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, the first album came out, and this is. This is what a nerd I am. I get a release sheet on the, on the album, you know, to place an order for this new group on Epic, Sheep trick. And I go to the sales guy. Oh, a couple of these guys were infused. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm probably the only one within a radius of I don't know, at least a couple hundred yards, if not in the middle of Harvard Square, that's ever fuse. But he was, he was funny because he'd been at CBS for a long time and he goes, Hughes, Hughes. I said, Yeah, they were on Epic. He goes, Right. Hey, God, but that was a long time ago. He said, Well, you know, well, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, I don't know you, know. you know, And they go, and of course they had a song, they had a single out before that on their own label, you know. And he's like shaking his head at that point. But anyway, um, you know, I, Placed in order for the record. Uh, you know, I got um, an advance of it, and um, I started promoting them heavily in the store. And um, you know, I also tried to get a couple local radio stations to to play uh, Cheap Trick uh-huh. uh, with very with varying degrees of success. Um, and I'd say uh, we did okay for a first album with, uh, with, with Cheap Trick, Cheap Trick. And, um, we did better with In Color. Uh, it was a, a top 10 record in our store. And when that happened, the first album, we started doing better with that. Um, cause kids in the Boston area were, um, you know, they were starting to hear about Cheap Trick and, um, Heaven Tonight did very well. Uh, for us, and that gets gets us to the story of, of Budokan, and Epic Records was, was not going to put that out. Um, they already had uh, Dream Police in the can, and the plan was to just put out this Budokan thing in Japan, because it was recorded in Japan, and um, the band's following in Japan was substantially bigger than it was anywhere else in the world uh-huh. at that particular time. Um, but my, um, you know, my import distributors, uh, one of them called and said, you know, uh, I know you guys do well with cheap trick. Would you be interested in carrying a, a live album? I said, absolutely. He goes, well, I got to caution you. It's 1698. And I said, well, look, can you send me, uh, you know, two or three copies and let me hear it and then I'll place an order. You know, I'll figure out. What I think we can do with it, and uh, he did. And uh, the, I guess I don't know. The next day or so, uh, myself and one of the other guys um, who um, worked at the the coop. One night, we decided we were going to just stay late and listen to uh, Budokan. And of course, you know, we we were knocked out, and
0: we were very excited.
3: And I called the. Uh, the distributor and um, said, uh, "All right, theoretically, how many of this could you get me?" And he goes, "Well, I've got a, a you know, a couple of boxes of them here. You know, we just figure, you know, some of our accounts will carry maybe one." And I said, "Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about." Uh, and I said, "You know, we're a high volume store." Evan tonight has been out for a good length of time and it's still in our top 10. And I said, you know, I know this is 1698, but I think we could do very well with it. And, um, he said, well, what kind of number are you talking about? And I said, well, suppose I was to say to you, I wanted 400, um, within a week silence at the end of the phone. <laughs> and then he says, um, okay. Uh, we can do that. And I said, if I want 400 more on top of that and 400 more on top of that, could you do that? And he's like, at that point, he thinks I'm out of my mind. I said, you know, that's what I'm thinking. I said, get me the 400. When that 400 arrives, I will call you uh, two or three days later and uh, I will confirm or not uh, how many more I want. And, of course, even at sixteen ninety eight um, which is what we had to sell it for' because it cost a lot to bring it in right um, even at that price, it was selling extremely well, and um it kind of flew into our top ten, and at the same time, Heaven Tonight was dropping down, so Bert Whitman, our c b s record salesman, comes in and uh, he goes. He sees my sale list. Uh, the uh, the um, I did a top 25. I actually did a top 100, but I published a top 25 every week. Right. And um, it was based on actual inventory. It wasn't you know a lot of stores. And, you know a lot of people used to hype their sales, but we we were we took it very seriously at, at that time. Uh, it was us and Tower on Sunset who were uh, the two biggest volume stores in the country you know for a for a single unit a a single store
0: Mm
3: -hmm. so we sold i mean you know a new springsteen or Pink floyd came out we would sell you know 1500 in the first couple of days um so we we were really selling a a lot of uh, Budokan, and it was in our top ten and bert whitman came in he sold us he goes what's that? Has Heaven Tonight gone back into your top ten? I said, no, it's a new one. He said, what are you talking about? I said, it's a new one. And he, at that point, I realized he doesn't know uh-huh. um, that, there, that there's a Budokan. So being the punk kid I was at the, the, the time, you know, I said, oh, I'm going to have a little fun with this, you know. So he goes, well, what is it? And I, you know, I took him out to the floor and I showed him the display and a nice little pile of Cheap Trick albums about, you know, 50 copies and there was another, you know, 20 on display and he goes, well, what's it selling for? And I said, well, look, and he goes, you mean it's a 1698 list? I said, yeah, we were selling it for 1498 cause you know, it costs us like, it's literally costs us probably like, you know, 1398 to bring it in. It's just, it's not like we're trying to make a ton of money on it. It's just that we pride ourselves on having everything. And it draws people to the store and we're cheap trick fans. So we're going to sell. Them. And he goes, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, an import, you know, I guess you won't, you won't be selling a ton of that, you know? So he's starting to feel a little better about, you know, what he's thinking, which is lost commissions. Right. And, and I said, um, Bert, come with me. And I take him back to the stock room and the entire length of the stock room is um there's a whole shelf and it's all budicon and his mouth drops and he goes how many copies are here and then i go well i just got another 400 i've got 1200 here he's got you got 1200 of this you're going to sell this and i said absolutely I said, it's already in our top 10. he goes can i use your phone and i said of course so they take him back to the office, and he gets on the phone with the uh, you know, head of A&R at Epic Records, who uh, is a what well, was was an old Bostonian and, and a great guy. And he's like, "I'm here with Dickinson, and he's uh, he's selling this Budokan Live cheap trick thing." And you know, Bird's getting the story. You can tell. Well, you know, it's just an import. They're only going to sell a few copies of then he goes, "No, it's in his top ten. Yeah, well, you know, we'll laugh. He's got twelve hundred copies of it. You know, what? You know, I won't say exactly what he said, but it's like, how come we're not putting this out? You know, you can tell there's a bit of a conversation going on. Bert hangs up. Another thing that has been going on at the same time is i had been telling uh, WBCN, the the big rock station uh-huh. uh, in Boston at the time, that, um, you know, this record's in our top ten and you guys ought to be paying attention. That news got to Harvey Leeds, who I mentioned earlier, and uh, they decided they were going to put out a promo-only 12-inch of six songs, actually I think it was a 10-inch maybe, uh, of six songs from um, from Budokan, um, and get it to radio stations who were interested or might be interested in, and playing it and uh, you know well when 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 BCN started playing it my sales you know you know went through the roof on that record um, I think we even got to number one or two for a couple of weeks um, I was supposed to because of my efforts and, and promoting and everything I was supposed to get a gold record but uh, I never did
0: yeah, I, I never got
3: I never got that gold record, but I always say, uh, as, as PJ knows, uh, you know, I got something better, which was a job at CBS Records. Cause they, <laughs> they they figured, oh, man, you know, if this guy can sell this stuff and he can sell The Clash and, and uh, Elvis Costello, you know, uh, bands that uh, the industry, radio and music industry, wasn't necessarily believing in full force at the time. Um, you know, maybe we should uh, get someone who knows, you know, what to do with this stuff and uh, how how to sell it and how to talk to these people, how to talk to these bands, you know. And of course, I thought that was the most amusing thing because it's like, what do you mean, how how do I talk to them? You know, I just they're people. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but uh, you yeah, know, for whatever reason, I guess you know, some corporate types don't. Uh, um, they think they're just freaks but no they're they're artists they're, right. they're people who yeah you know, so not so difficult to talk
1: to them absolutely so what was the thing you were most proud of about the box set
3: um yeah you know, the box set itself uh i'm really proud of uh, the design uh, the band came up with the name by the way sex america Cheap Track. Uh, which I thought was brilliant because it's just, you know, what catches people's eyes. Sex in America, of course. So why not tie Cheap Trick to that? It's classic, you know, Madison Avenue, uh, Mad Men kind of advertising, you know, take your product and attach it to something that's a winner. You know, plus we, you know, we did the red, white, and blue thing. You know, there there's definitely a flag motif with uh, Cheap Trick in, embedded in it. You know, we used, Bunny had some uh, promo items and memorabilia, and I had some of the same, so we were able to photograph them and put them in, in the box set itself. But most of all, I guess I'm really pleased that we were able to take so much stuff that had not been released before, and, you know, alternate versions, unreleased stuff, unreleased live stuff, things that a lot of fans knew about but maybe didn't have or only had bad recordings of on bootleg or whatever. And we were able to give people an optimum sounding version of those songs and songs that they didn't have and really put it all together in such a way that it promoted Cheap Trick in general. Um, I mean, they this actually did boost Uh, sales of the individual records. I'm sure it, uh, you know, no doubt helped with their live shows. It, they got a lot of press off of, off of it. It rekindled, uh, interest in the band. And, um, I had first learned that lesson, um, years before when I put Biograph together, the Bob Dylan box set. Mm -hmm. Um, that came about, uh, that's a whole other story, but, uh, you know, there was substantial unreleased stuff, um, there. And it was a similar formula that I'd come up with of, you know, taking a lot of unreleased stuff and putting a, also putting a spotlight on some songs that's been overlooked because maybe the albums they were on didn't do as well or, uh-huh. you know, whatever. Um, and that uh, you know that combination uh, works as long as you have a band that has compelling unreleased uh, material.
1: Correct. Now, BJ, I know you have a bunch of questions.
2: Yeah, well, I, it sounds like it was mainly you and Bunny uh, selecting the songs. Were the other guys involved? And was, it, was there a lot of deliberation about what was going to be included? or
3: It was really 90% plus Bunny and I um uh, bunny uh is kind of the band's archivist yeah
1: yeah band uh, historian he's,
3: he's the guy who has everything Yeah, he calls it bunny's basement mm-hmm. and he's got all the memorabilia he's he's got everything on cassettes and um you know he obviously he did talk to the other guys uh rick especially you know but it really was uh you know it was funny you know one fan one band member Wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought it was funny you said that Bunny brought in the tape of Fan Club, the ardent demo, and I spoke with Butch Stone who paid for those recordings and he didn't even know that that was on the box set. <laughs> and he says he still has the master tape from those uh sessions at his house.
3: Uh well, you know, there's always tapes out there, you know, it's, uh that's part of what I do is trying to find things and you don't always uh, come up with, with everything. Um, in the case of this, Bunny just had this uh, cassette. He goes, Oh, I'd like to put this on. And, uh, and, and
2: we did. And we put it on there. I think, Uh, did they record fan club for the first album too?
3: It's possible an early session. I don't re I don't recall that. Um, but I don't remember everything at this point. Yeah. it was a long time ago.
2: Were there any thoughts about, I guess it's probably complicated when other record labels are involved, but were there any thoughts about trying to put, like, Reach Out or Spring Break, other soundtrack songs on there?
3: Yes, uh, there were, and some of the soundtrack stuff uh, is Sony, uh, you know, controlled master-wise, so there wouldn't have been a problem. We just felt that, uh, you know, we had better, better stuff to use. You know, there has been some discussion from fans like, well, how come they haven't put those things out? And, you know, frankly, you know, the band, a lot of that stuff, the band is not in favor of, uh, you know, putting a a spotlight on. And certainly not uh, for the box set when compared to the stuff that did make the cut. Again, you know, we're talking about, you know, what if we'd done two more or four more CDs, yeah, that stuff might have might have made it. You know, we're we're not we weren't going to put on um, spring break and lead off, you know, the demo of Born to Raise Hell or something like that. We weren't going to leave off Home uh, Sweet Home, you know, in favor of, of Reach Out. It just wasn't going to happen.
2: Yeah, well, those are probably one of the most exciting things about the box set was that those rock and roll songs that you're talking about were on there because that there was never a soundtrack released for that. No, right. So do you remember, there's another song in that movie that's a duet between Robin and Debbie Harry called Send Love Through, but it wasn't written by Cheap Trick. I think it was written by uh, Chris Stein and and Debbie Harry, but were there any thoughts or possibilities of putting that song on here?
3: It was was on the list, but for similar reasons that I just discussed, um, you know, it, it didn't make it. I forget which label controls that. Some of these things, you know, would involve extra money. So unless, you know, that isn't, that is not to say that had something, say money is the root of all fun
2: right? you know,
3: say, say that had been on another label on a soundtrack. It would have been hard for us not to have that on there. We would have tried to do a financial deal to get that track.
1: Out there that are listening today, you know, when you kind of debate about what should have been on the box set or should not have been on the box set, you were kind of our advocate in a way, you know, as yeah, as of one well, is, um, a one fan to another, a fellow fan,
3: I guess. Yeah, I guess that's the way to put it for us bias
1: kind of a thing, you know.
2: Yeah, it sounds <laughs> to me like it sounds to me like if a real a big cheap trick fan wasn't involved, we would not have gotten so much unreleased stuff and so many rarities. So it's definitely a great thing that you were involved
3: i i think uh, i think that's a, a safe bet
2: i wanted to ask about there's the version of surrender that is on the heaven tonight reissue with the original lyrics and all it says on the cd is that it's an outtake from the heaven tonight sessions but was that really from the heaven tonight sessions or was it maybe from even the first album sessions or
3: no that was from the heaven tonight sessions. the version of surrender that was um Begun to be recorded, and I emphasize that begun. For the first album, um, you know, it's it's pretty skeletal. In fact, uh, I'm not even sure if that has uh, all the all the lyrics at all. It may just have, uh, if anything, just have the chorus. I don't remember specifics on that, but um, there there were songs like uh, Surrender and uh, Dream Police. That I think you know, it may even be the Dream Police was just bass and drums. Now, obviously, over the years, and this happens all the time, fans find out that the uh, the, the artist was working on a specific song uh, when they did an earlier album or whatever, and they go, "How oh, come they've never put out that version?" You know, this is the kind of thing that you know they do in the chat in the chat rooms. Um, you know, I can't believe they haven't put that out. And it's like, well, you know, there's, there's always a reason, you know, whether it's a publishing issue or whether it's the band wanting or not wanting something to come out. Um, or in this case, well, do you really just want to hear a bass and drums rudimentary version of dream police? Uh, at a completely different tempo uh, than it came out. It's like, yeah, it, it might be interesting, but are you going to put that on uh, in lieu of something else? And it's the same with uh, Surrender. BJ wants so, that.
2: <laughs> do you know anything about the the lyrics change in Surrender? Was it a record company suggestion or maybe just, a, uh, did they just thinking in terms of this might get on the radio, we should probably clean it up a little or?
3: Don't hold me to it, but probably the latter. I, I honestly do remember that Bunny and I spoke about that, um, and he told me, which, uh, you know, I have a vague memory that it was like, well, you know, uh, the, yeah, we, we, we've made our point lots of times in our songs, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is the way to go with this song. But, yeah. There's always uh, with, with any artist there are scratch lyrics and um, sometimes there are sometimes they're complete nonsense lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's just monosyllables, you know, where you know they're basically just getting the meter of the lyrics, but the lyrics haven't been written yet. Right. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. So a lot of these things are first ideas. Sometimes. Uh, a song has a different title, and uh, that always used to cause me some grief because uh, the psychedelic fairs were notorious for, uh, you know, having working titles of songs that um, everybody knows, but not by that title. Yet the fandom knows that there's a song, you know, of, of a different title, and, and they go, I can't believe they haven't put this song out and this song and there's these fifteen songs they never put out. Well, they have put out, you know, and you bought them. They just had different titles, you know? <laughs> yeah. and it's often on the multi-track tapes. It's just, you know, the, the song will have a different title, um, you know, but by the time it gets to the mixed-down half inch or quarter inch, uh, they've come up with the you know, the actual title that everyone knows
2: but it's the same song. Mm. Well, and another thing with cheap trick is there was always talk about putting something out called like found some more parts and putting out another rarities compilation. So I always thought maybe part of stuff not being on the box set is the idea that either we're holding this back for another future release or, you know, this will come out eventually. We don't have to get everything on here because there will be more. Was that in your thinking too?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, in the case of Cheap Trick, since there's so much stuff, that's that's always um, that's always going to be an issue. Um, you know, we didn't consciously, you know, I'm not sure quite how to put this. But, you know, it's like we didn't say 100% that okay, well, let's save this song for uh, the um, expanded edition of In Color or whatever. It would be just like, okay, we're doing this box set. We can't put everything on here. Um, what fits in the sequence? What's the pacing, the mood, all those things. Does this song fit here? And it's like, no, well, okay. Maybe that one we put aside as a bonus track for the in-color, you know, expanded edition. It's it's more that, that kind of thing. As far as doing a rarities compilation, I mean... That has been talked about with all the soundtrack stuff that we talked about a few minutes ago. And, um, you know, the guys, uh, simply aren't real interested in, in some of, some of that stuff. They, they feel that it's not the core of who they are and what they are. And I think they're right. I think if someone really wants that material, in almost every case, it, it's, it can be found. And as I said a long time ago in this conversation, these days you can make your own CD. So, you know, you can go buy the soundtrack album or whatever, and, you know, you've
2: got it there. Uh,
3: You can make your own Rarities compilation. I do it all the time. I've got things on my
2: computer. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you: There's there's these sessions that they did with Jack Douglas, I think in 1980. I think they were for publishing purposes, and I need love on the box set is from those. And then you yeah. did the essential cheap trick, right? Yeah. Um, and I have there there was a promo uh, 45 that that came out, I think, to promote that, and it had the song "Oh Boy" on there. Um, were you right. part of? Yeah. So was that from those same Jack Douglas sessions? Was that version of the uh, from that?
3: Don't hold me to it hundred percent, but I believe you're you're correct. I, I believe that came from the very same uh, session.
1: Did you have a version of the box set that you preferred? Because there's the long, tall book version, and then there's the... Uh...
3: Oh, definitely the original first long, tall book version. Yeah. The the cube version was done to uh, accommodate certain retailers um, who wanted something that would fit in the standard CD bin of their store. Mm-hmm. So, and that's how these things come about. Um uh, that's why some, some box sets there's like three, four different configurations. Uh-huh. Usually the first one that comes out is, is the one that's, you know, the highly regarded, uh, approved, whatever. But you know, if you just imagine yourself in a store and think of the layout, a lot of stores in those days would just have a separate box set section and not everyone sees that, Right. you know, they come. Store, they go to Cheap Trick and they don't see the box set because the stores don't put the box set in the Cheap Trick section because it takes up space and it blocks the next few artists in back of it, you know, going alphabetically. That's why you end up saying, well, we're not going to carry this unless you can give us a, a cube version, the same, size, same dimension um, as, as, as a regular CD. Obviously, it'll be thicker, but that's what they want. Uh, and that's the only way it's not going to be put in the, quote, box set ghetto, end quote.
2: And you guys made a great choice by having Ira Robbins write up the, the, the uh, story. Oh, yeah, yeah that was
3: that, that was that was a no brainer.
2: Yeah, he
3: was kind of he, he was one of the first calls, shall we say?
2: Yeah. I, and I wanted to ask you, I really love the radio commercial that is hidden as a as a, a hidden track on one of the discs. Where did you guys find that? Do you remember?
3: Uh, I actually found that uh, amongst the, the tapes that Sony holds.
0: Bill, take your feet off the table and help me straighten up. Nancy will be home any minute and she's bringing some friends with her. For
3: her friends, I don't have to clean up.
0: Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. These are the guys I told you about. Mom, Dad, oh, meet cheap trick. cheap trick. Hello. Yeah, Robin is the lead singer, isn't he? Adorable? Yeah, adorable. And Tom Peterson plays the bass guitar and creates auras. And Rick was a cartoon character before he joined the group. Oh. And this is Venezuela. He was named after a country in South America, I think. Venezuela. They played in bars and bowling alleys and even warehouses, and now they've got an album out. Why don't you play one of the songs from your album for my parents, guys? Here we Send to the college, you said. She'll meet some nice boys, you said. Cheap trick. Only rock and roll could bring them together. Only Epic Records could record their
1: first album. Cheap trick.
3: There's a lot of commercials, radio commercials, that they still have on tape in in the vaults um, because they were Sony made um by you know marketing people who were coming up with an ad to sell the sell something by an artist on the radio. So there's invariably a a little seven inch reel that has those thirty second radio spots on it.
2: Yeah, that's such a fun commercial. They uh they had a they had back then at Epic they had really creative people in their in their uh promotion department who really had a lot of fun with Cheap Trick they really loved the sense of humor with the band and um, so that uh, commercial ab- just had it all
3: yeah <laughs> uh, absolutely yeah um, yeah there are um, there have, have been good product managers uh, and good uh, copywriters so you know, I, I actually started uh, in New York when I came, got to New York I started as a product manager I was working, uh, they brought me to Columbia as opposed to Epic. Columbia was on the 12th floor, Epic was on the 13th floor. But we both um, talked to each other all the time, and we both used the same copywriters. On the 10th floor at that time were some really good uh, advertising and copywriter people. Um, i just mention as an aside, um, one of the guys I used to love to work with was Gary Lucas one of the very best guitar players in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, You know, he's he's played with uh, Captain Beefheart, and he, uh, you know, kind of discovered Jeff Buckley uh, and worked with Jeff on a lot of the early Jeff Buckley stuff while he was still a copywriter at uh, CBS and then as it evolved into Sony. Um, But Gary was a very uh, witty... Irreverent uh, uh, guy, and there were there were some other people there uh, that were, you know, they came up with some really good stuff. And um, I always gravitated myself towards the irreverent people, uh, being one myself.
2: Yeah, I mean, you just the, you hear so much uh, negativity about uh, record labels and people who work for record labels and things, but uh, from what I've learned about the people that were at Epic uh, when they signed Cheap Trick, they they were all. They all seemed very into the, the art and the creativity and the you know the, the bands as artists and uh it's been very very refreshing to learn about how the people at Epic approached Cheap Trick when they signed them and they really appreciated the band for what it was and um, and you could see uh, that in the in the prom- in the way the first album was promoted, especially.
3: Absolutely. And refreshing is is the word. And yeah. <laughs> You have to understand. It's like the people who are, are doing uh, this. Most of them got into the business because they they loved rock and roll, or they loved uh, yeah. you know soul music, or they loved jazz. They loved some kind of music. And um, yeah, there's plenty of corporate types. And uh, yeah, sometimes uh, uh, creativity gets snuffed out. Uh, you know, there's always you know any eternal battle uh, there. But, yeah, a band like Cheap Trick comes along and they're inspiring. Um, Right. You also have to compare, you know, compare Cheap Trick to a lot of the other artists the same people had to work on. Uh You know, it's like, oh, God, okay, what am I going to do with this? You know, um, whereas Cheap Trick comes along and it's like, it's you know, invigorating. It's exciting, you know.
2: Well, Ken, as as much as I loved having Steve West on, I think we have found out who we should have had on for our special Budokan episode. <laughs> it sounds like it definitely should have been <clears throat> should have been Bruce Dickinson <laughs> from the, the story that you told about I mean it seems like you're practically responsible for them releasing it domestically. <laughs> and then of course your work on the box set later, so you have so much history with that album, it's it's great. Absolutely.
3: That and a couple other things really, uh, you know, got me my job, as
2: it were. Yeah, it kind of laid your foundation for your career in the music industry as well. Most of our fan life, we've been reading about, you know,
1: how the record stores were bringing the the records in, and today we're actually talking to one of those people. So, <laughs> it's kind of nice. You're a man of legend, it seems, between the more cowbell and now being part of the infamous <laughs> Budicon. Uh, story. So <laughs> yeah, that's
2: that's the that's the mythology of Budokan is that right. it was the, such a successful import that they had the that they had the release it domestically, and then of course it became, you know, it made the band, you know, it it made their career. So
3: uh-huh. bands that are a little off the beaten path, they you know, they surprise the industry. They happen, sometimes they happen despite the industry. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I could tell you lots of stories about that, but, um, Cheap Trick was not going to be, uh, denied. They, um, you know, they were that good and they were that different. And it may have taken them a while to, you know, get a record deal or whatever, but, um uh, you know, they did. And, uh, you know, they broke through uh, sometimes, sometimes artists don't, but they did.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You always hear that various comedians, comedian and cheap trick. They were like the band's band, but then they managed to take it to the mainstream. You know, I always say a lot of times things are too good to be popular. <laughs> and I think yeah. cheap, trick, or cheap trick or one of those things that were, they were just too good, but they still managed to cross over luckily.
3: Budokan is the album that made that difference. That was the one that sold multi-platinum levels. They were building, you know, Heaven Tonight had done better than In Color, which had done better than the first album. Um, But Budokan, you know, all hell broke loose. And uh, it was uh, it was not a planned event. And it's one of those rare examples where you know just a couple of people can make a difference you know i have always said that some of the biggest surprises in the music business happened because of from two to six people that got behind it they may or may not have worked at the record company uh, you know usually you have to have at least two people at the record company you know, that are willing to uh, risk all the abuse that they get from everyone else at the record company. It's like, what the hell are you promoting these guys for? You know, hey, this isn't the, this isn't a priority. You know, back off, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. You know, in those days, it was, uh, it was hard enough to, to get those two to six people. You know, and, and, you know, one of those six people might have been a radio station music director or a program director. That doesn't really happen anymore. You know, not since, you know, everything the radio became completely homogenized and centered in, you know, consultants and, you know, companies like Clear Channel. You have less, far, far less opportunity for someone to, you know, Go into a pile of uh, CDs and go. Huh, who are these guys? Oh, this is really cool. I'm going to come in and play this on my show tomorrow. You know, <laughs> or I'm going to give it to the DJs to play. And say no, because that decision isn't made in your town. It's made in San Antonio. You know, uh, which happens to be where Clear Channel is based, or whatever. You right. know, um, it, it's it's too corporately controlled and uh, the record companies are, are more like that now too uh, it's, you know that's the way it is
2: and it's crazy that as close to budokan came to not being released the band also tells the story that they added i want you to want me to their set right before they went on stage yes. <laughs> so it was they were <laughs> everything was just you know very close to none of it happening so
3: yeah, well, in the case of I Want You to Want Me, uh, they got over to Japan and everyone was talking about I Want You to Want Me, and they were like, oh, God, that song's over. That's in the past, whatever, you know? And it's like, oh, <laughs> the fans like this song. I guess we better pull it out of the malt That's That was their attitude, you know? Yeah, and, you know. yeah. Uh, and part of what's great about Cheap Trick is they didn't say, oh, screw the fans. You know, they're not like that know uh, they they were like oh okay well our fans love this song so okay let's play it wow could have been anything could have been any song in the you know, that they had released uh, at that time um uh, that they weren't playing in their set uh, and you know they listen to their fans some artists do and some artists don't well bruce i think we're going to
1: call this one an interview
2: <laughs> and, and and thank you. I mean, for you know, from all Cheap Trick fans, thank you so much for you know the work you've done with the band and the role you played in Budokan and the box set and everything else. Um, it's greatly appreciated. So thank you.
3: Well, you know, it's just uh, fun to um, have it all work sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, thank you from the bottom of our heart to, for coming on the show. You class up to join a little bit today and uh well, we were will... you're in
3: trouble if I class up the joint yeah i know
1: well
2: you, you you yeah we're in trouble
1: yeah we're in trouble we're in trouble well we again especially we want to yeah especially me but we we seriously want to thank you for being on the show today and uh we look well, forward to welcome. hearing from you in the future and uh once again thank you for being part of cheap talk and cheap trick history
3: okay thank
1: you all right
0: Love, this is hate Get it straight, get it straight Take a break
1: Well, BJ, that was one of my favorite interviews, and it's a good one to come back from our break on, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, it was great. Yeah, you know, the, the whole concept, well, the way I approach the, the podcast, I mean, it's your show, but. Uh,
1: no, it's yeah, our show. Yeah, it's just,
2: you know, like getting into the minutia and the details and the behind the scenes stuff is always great. Uh, with something like the box set, just hearing the story from the guy who actually did most of the work for for a cheap for a huge cheap trick fan, you know, this should be a real treat. So
1: and as we record this, Cheap Trick is has announced that they'll be opening up for Foreigner. What do you think, BJ?
2: Well, I always hate it when they do a summer tour like that because I living in the Midwest, I'm always hopeful that I'll get to see them at county fairs and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then if they end up on a summer tour, they usually don't do that very much. So I'm always hoping they don't go on some summer tour just because of my for my own selfish reasons right um you know if you look at the promo materials for this tour the cheap trick logo is just as big as the foreigner logo and i really think even though it's foreigners anniversary tour and so they're really they want to celebrate the history of foreigner even though as everyone's pointing out there's only one guy from foreigner (laughs) there but uh you know i think they're really presenting it more as a co-headlining thing than as Cheap Trick as an opening band
1: Right you know? Well for Cheap Trick fans that are disappointed About them being in this spot You have to look at the fact That this is going to put them in front Of a lot of eyes and ears So Cheap Trick's Going to be out there doing their thing In front of a bunch of people And that's a good thing for all of
2: well, us Well and look the, the, all the, the All of the logistics And mm-hmm. all the business That's all foreigners problem. Right. So you got to look at from Cheap Trick's point of view, they don't have any of the headaches. Right. They just get to go on this tour and have fun and get paid. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we've seen a lot of people on the Facebook page complaining, why are Cheap Trick opening for Foreigner, Foreignership opening for them? Well, you yeah, know, I mean, that's an argument for a different day. But obviously, in the scheme of things, Foreigner were a much more successful band as far as record sales and hit singles and stuff right. like that. They were much more successful in those terms than Cheap Trick were rightly or wrongly.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I did a whole episode of my podcast about Foreigner, so I'm a Foreigner fan. Obviously i a right. much bigger fan of Cheap Trick, but you know, the there's been a lot of negativity about they shouldn't be opening for Foreigner. That's really kind of pointless. And you just have to look at it from the band's point of view. This they just get to go on tour and have fun and get paid and and not have to deal with not? the
1: headaches and the logistics and yeah. all the pain in the necks of that. So yeah. you know,
2: foreigner was saying that Lou Graham was going to be at select dates, and then apparently Lou Graham said nobody asked me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's it's not off to a good start. Right. It's
1: always that way. It's always that way.
2: But, you know, Lou Graham was one of my favorites. Obviously, Robert, Robin Xander is my favorite singer of all time. But Lou Graham is in the top five, probably. As far as just vocalists, you know, he was amazing. And there were so many great Foreigner songs. So I kind of hated to see all the attitude about Foreigner. Obviously, they're not artistically, they're not on the same level as Cheap Trick, but they had a lot of great songs and and they were a huge band and... uh, you know, it's great to see Journey going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and I think Foreigner should be right behind them. You oh, know, I agree. I agree. This elitism is just bothers me. Right. It always
1: bothered me when you had, uh, like, I remember an article around nineteen seventy nine in Rolling Stone where they talked about how you could look at rock and roll instead of a, a bunch of important writers and. Uh, you know, leaders in their field. You could look at these, the current crop of bands as softball teams where you could trade Tommy Shaw for a, uh, you know, Mick Jones or whatever. Nobody would know the difference. They were saying that about Kansas, Sticks, Foreigner, uh, Journey. And this has become classic rock, you know, for right or wrong, you know, all the music holds up. And yeah, they may, it, nothing against Elvis Costello, who I love Elvis Costello, but, uh, you know, Gene Simmons always said something about like, uh, he was popular cause that's how critics look. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he may have been onto something, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. So go out and see cheap trick on the road and thanks for listening to cheap talk today. Uh, have some fun and keep cheap tricking right PJ? Yep. Bye-bye.
0: And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep Cheap Trickin'.
1: Okay, Hello? are you there? Yeah. Alright, ready? Are you what, ready? are we doing like an end or something? Yeah. Getting that dick. Alright, let's get a testicle. Test one, testicle two. You fucking dick. <laughs> Ken, can we record? <laughs> Ken, I really think it would be neat, Ken, if we would just... If you could just sign a few things for my children.
3: <laughs> okay, more cowbell. about? <laughs>
2: always more sick of hearing
1: yeah he's got to be sick of that he's got to be sick. So of
3: actually it. you know i uh, actually i do have the shirt blue oyster cult gave me a nice more cowbell shirt, shirt. My God. i actually have a picture of me wearing it with blue oyster cult
2: uh. um,
3: and i don't know if you know but it, of all the sketches i don't know for better or for worse of all the sketches ever all time on saturday night live that is the most popular I, I
2: yeah, think it's, it's, it's definitely iconic. It's totally become iconic. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know, I, I would go with something like bassomatic or something. But
2: right, yeah, <laughs> save the liver.
3: You know that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs>